<laughs> you play with our equipment? <laughs> Just the OCD. Oh no, I'm Who sorry. Who's down with OCD? Yeah, you know me. <laughs> Is that another side of your life that you want to talk about? Uh, I mean, there's so many different like facets. <laughs> okay, so hello and welcome to Flip the Switch with a podcast dedicated to the multifaceted and multi-hyphenate. I'm joined by Ryan Langey today. Yeah. Trailblazer, I'm uh-huh. going to call you. <laughs> Have you heard you. that new one for you? Or? Pioneer of sorts. Pioneer, yeah. pioneer of sorts. Actually, Ryan, what we do here on the podcast is actually get you to introduce yourself okay because it's really interesting to see what you bring out Mm -hmm. there's so many different sides to you but it depends what you're kind of focusing on at the moment Mm -hmm. so ryan what do you do uh i am ryan langey i'm your warholian south asian pioneer provocateur um (laughs) i'm a cultural producer uh curator uh club promoter tv personality and um now facilitator of a fitness collective so we're going to cover it all. Yeah. But what we're going to do is like, I think it's best to start from the beginning. Yes. And the fashion side is where, is that where your early 20s, it kind of all began of discovering where, where did you want to go? What did you do? And where did you start? I think it's quite interesting to think about the fashion side of my life because um, when I was young in Vancouver, British Columbia, where I was born, um, I didn't really know anything about the world. I was just this young kid who was obsessed with movies, read the newspapers, cut out little pictures of all the films, watched everything. Jurassic Park is like one of the beating arteries of why I do what I do, which is bring magic into people's lives. Wow, Um, okay. And so as I grew up, I met a handful of people and they taught me about things like fashion and fashion magazines. And I thought it was really interesting. Um, I kind of fell in love with GQ and Vogue. Um, Not in the sense that I like wanted to make the magazine. I was just obsessed with the idea of the world making fashion for people and fashion being a way to express yourself. So when I was 23, I moved to London. I had a British citizenship. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad was born here, so I Mm -hmm. could move here and not have to leave. That was my one prerequisite when I was younger, was that I want to move somewhere and I don't have to, like, do everything in a couple years. Okay. Um, So I want to go somewhere I could stay forever. Mm -hmm. I moved here. Um, At the time, I was um, with someone who was deeply into art, Mm -hmm. fine art. So naturally, I just, like, acclimatized myself to the realms of art and fashion. And I was like, I want to be a fashion curator. I got a job at an art gallery and it was such an interesting um, way to enter this industry because I actually got a job at a pizza place on Brick Lane. Mm. I moved here in 2010, got a job at a pizza place and on my first shift I walked home Mm. in Whitechapel and then got mugged. I got beaten up by five people. They were just there to beat the shit out of me. They weren't like, they weren't trying to rob me. They just wanted to, like, let's call it a gay bash. Yeah, yeah. So I was like a a victim of a gay bash. Oh, no. Um, But the beautiful thing about it was that I managed to escape. Mm -hmm. And the next day I went with my partner to their interview at an art gallery. Right. Um, And during their interview, it was a small gallery in um, Viner Street in Bethnal Green. Mm -hmm. Um, He just decided he didn't want the job and that I should have it. So he was like, why don't you just give the job to Ryan? Like, he'll be really good at this. And so I said... Thank you. Covered it in bruises. Oh my gosh, I was like, yeah. thank you, I'll take it, but I'll do it with him. Like, we can just split the fee. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, so we worked on it together, and then I became the manager of the gallery. Wow. So, but then what, why did you take that job? Like, why did you, is that something you always wanted to do then? And that was like, it felt like the right next thing. So what, you were literally working in a restaurant? Was I was it? working at a pizza place. I moved yeah. to London, big dreams, um, a lot of aspirations, but like no direction. Yeah. Um, I, I've always had this like idea that I just wanted to make a difference in the world and like just okay. change the world. As, as optimistic as that is, I just wanted to just make everyone 
feel something they've never felt before. Um, a sense of community maybe was something I was la- uh, lacking or just the idea of being able to create original culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was fascinated by art galleries and exhibitions because I thought it was a great way to display history and also mm-hmm. show people things in ways they've never imagined. And in that moment, like, it was just luck. I, yeah. I was just there and at the right time they asked me if I wanted to do the job. I was a great facilitator. Yeah. Um, starting to build my little curatorial um, portfolio from Vancouver. Um, so I took the role. Um, at first, it was a weekend job where I was just there on the weekends. I okay. think I was just there to make sure no one touched the artwork. <laughs> okay. um, but then eventually, I came up with an idea um, to do an exhibition about fingernail art. Yes. Um, and it was called Nailphilia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came out in 2010, and now it's considered the world's first nail art exhibition. Wow. Um, and we exhibited um, acrylic nails that were made for fashion catwalks, music videos, and films um, for the first time and as art, as fine art. Um, and that just sort of grabbed the attention of the beauty industry and the fashion industry. And then I was catapulted into fashion as a fashion curator. It seems like you always blend mm-hmm. things that you're passionate about. Yeah. Is that something you've always wanted to do to like carve your own path in a way? Because it, like, it's something that didn't exist. Yeah. That, that I, you were then brought to life. I feel like um, all of my experiments are just a, an exercise in uh dichotomous um, pairings mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so like i'm like oh let's just take something that people don't understand and put it in a space that people understand things yeah so i was like let's look at nail art because it's on the body and let's look at it as a form of fine art mm-hmm. because you hang a canvas on the wall but why isn't your nail a canvas and so i just thought of that and then just went that way and next thing you know we had so many people i mean look at the nail art industry now it like it, it that exhibition came out during the birth of instagram yeah. and it was the first like london exhibition that went like truly viral mm-hmm. and um and it changed the industry it like it created uh, nail technicians that are now um infamous and so successful in fashion art and film oh my gosh wow so trailblazer is definitely the great a great way to kind of talk about you and then from there Mm -hmm. as you kind of evolved into your journey do you carry on being you were freelance right yeah so at that that point i was working at the gallery and then um i got a phone call from revlon the beauty brand and they asked me to curate their 80th retrospective at the london film museum Mm -hmm. um i was 23 years old. So I just had to make a bold decision as to whether or not I took the job or stayed at the gallery. So I left. Um, And then I started working with like fashion designers, stylists, um, illustrators, all who lived in East London during that time of um, the Lady Gaga, Katy Perry, Nicki Minaj era, where all these um, sort of mainstream pop stars were doing very David Bowie things. Um, And I was meeting all of the people who were making the garments, who were doing the set design. And I just like would party with them and ask them what they did and then make exhibitions for them or let Mm. them showcase what they were truly trying to experiment in and where their their actual interests lay Mm -hmm. um and i started working with artists like um lolo noble Mm -hmm. um who designed garments for florence welsh azealia banks and um uh, gaga Uh, i worked with kim howells who styled gaga as well um fred butler who's Mm -hmm. like a, a wonderful papers and accessories designer um so many people who just we all just became friends and I just started to showcase what they did. And um, it was just like a moment. It was like before social media. So people would go to something yeah. and then see and experience um, rather than this world now that we live in. That's quite the digital. virtual hybrid. So, <laughs> so it's at the right place at the right time, celebrating the right people. Wow. And then like, did you notice anything then that led to kind of the like emergence and founding of Hangama? So um, representation. What did you find in the fashion world? Did you know? Did you felt feel like you could belong? To be honest, I at that point just thought I was a 
white person with dark skin. Mm. Like I was so subscribed to being um, white and a queer white person. Like yeah. I, I learned all the songs to Kylie Minogue and Lady yeah. Gaga and Madonna. And, and I just started to like do all the things that queer people do in order to fit in yeah. because I didn't want to stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, me standing out was not a choice that I got to make. It was something that people got to observe. Right. Um, so it hit a point where I was in fashion and art and it was this interesting um, comparison and contrast where in the art world, I wasn't fashion enough. Okay. And in the fashion world, I was too arty. Mm. And like, it was just like this weird um, confusion of not belonging. Yeah. Um, and then I, I remember, at like I think it was like 2017, I decided to start integrating to the queer scene in, in East London. And going there, I felt even more displaced because I was either exoticized or I wasn't accepted. Um, and... It was that night, I remember specifically, that I <laughs> went home and started listening to Bollywood music yeah. just to like calm myself. Um, and that's when I realized that Bollywood music is actually quite banging. Yeah, and, like, yeah. and I listened to it and grew up listening to it when I was a kid, played it for all of my mom's like kiddie, par- uh, kiddie parties. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, why not throw a queer Bollywood night? Like, it would be amazing yeah like even any indian person who goes to reception you're listening to hip-hop r&b and bollywood yeah, and even sure. bongra music at the same time i was like put that in a queer space and people will go mental and so i i did i just went to a pub and asked them if i could throw a party and because of all of my friends in fashion and art we just created that moment and um i like to think of it as like an indian studio 54 where mm. it was bollywood and hip-hop and R&B and electro music in a queer setting and everyone was just allowed to celebrate themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it wasn't for all of the things that led to that, I don't think it would have had the, the character, um, the character and uniqueness mm-hmm. that, um, that, that I don't think you can find in any other Bollywood night. Yeah. It's very like your experience has shaped who you are to then yeah. carve out this yeah, safe space. Exactly. And it's so true because Bollywood, it reminds you of home. Like it's, a, it's safe for me yeah. as well. Like it like takes me back to a place where, no one can make me feel like I don't belong. And the first time that we did it was incredible. Like, I remember seeing queer couples who were like, we haven't heard these songs since our wedding. Yeah. Um, I remember people who were Asian and in a group of white people, and they were like, oh my God, I know this and you <laughs> don't. And like, and all the white people felt really confused. It was like a beautiful wow. turning of tables. Um, and we, we had absolutely no DJs, no mm-hmm. drag queens, mm-hmm. no performers. Um, I just did it with such tenacity that um, people started to come out of the woodwork and say, I'd like to perform or I'd like to DJ. And I, I would give everyone a chance and I would um, try to nurture and nourish the ones who had talent. Um, and now, like, there are so many queer Bollywood um, artists, DJs, performers, photographers. Yeah. Um, they all sort of congregated to the party and, like, it was like a little watering hole where we all just hung out and grew up together, yeah. um, dealt with some of our trauma, became besties with some people and some people we didn't. Mm-hmm. And... Um, now I'm blessed to say that anyone from London or who's come to London and has a vested interest in Bollywood has probably come to our night and it's, yeah. it's gone down in history. And you like you sparked a movement for sure. Yeah. Because I think that it wasn't talked about either. And like, yeah, it's, it's an action thing that you did. Like, I think a lot of people probably thinking yeah. about, like, I wish there was a space for me. Yeah. And then what you did is like carve out that space and then everyone comes, which is so beautiful. Yeah. And what we did was we unapologetically took up space. Like yeah. we, we never held the party at the same venue. We kept mm-hmm. moving it because I wanted people who were scared to explore, to feel wow. safe under the club night mm-hmm. um we we utilize all of our like 
intercommunication skills and had articles in like the guardian and days and time out mm-hmm. and like i would be we'd be featured anywhere and everywhere because i was like it doesn't it's not about um being clandestine or yeah. trying to trying to protect ourselves it's about being proud and and present mm-hmm. and um and i guess that was the birth of representation yeah amazing so i think that leaves a perfect time to flip the switch then and we want to talk about you being a founder so mm-hmm. we've kind of covered the fashion side and I think it's really important to talk about Hungama and Not Dead Yet um, and just the reasons why. I think first, if we can go back to Hungama in general, like, what does it mean? What does it mean to you? It means something in Hindi, right? Yeah. Um, so Hangama in Urdu and Hindi means chaos mm-hmm. and celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, I chose the name because I I always remember my mom going to events and the next day she'd be on the phone talking to her friends being like, oh my God, it was such a Hangama. And um, <laughs> so I just felt like it was the best word. Yeah. Um, it really brings it to life, actually. Yeah. I mean, when I first started saying it, like the, I, I was like, is it a good party name? But yeah. now it's just like, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. And I love it. I'm really proud of it. Um, oh, I love it. I never thought of myself as a founder of a movement or a club night. I was just throwing a party. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wanted to make friends and make like, like-minded friends with people who look like me. Yeah. I wanted to meet and support. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think looking back, I'm just so deeply humbled and proud of every single person who felt safe there yeah. and every single person who managed to create something from that experience. So I think what would be good to talk about as well is music. What does it mean to you? You talked a little bit about Bollywood yeah. music, but you're a DJ, right, as well? I taught myself to DJ at Hangama. Okay. Um, I, I, I DJed out of necessity. Like I could hear the music and I could hear the mashups and I knew what I wanted to play. Mm-hmm. So I played it at Hangama and I've been really blessed to DJ festivals and um, I, I guess you could say in a way headline or be one of the prominent names. But I think that I'm so proud of all the DJs who came to Hangama and actually mm-hmm. excelled in the art form. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've like kind of taken a bit of a step back. I like to call myself a selector. Okay. Like I select, <laughs> I select music really well and the mashups I pick, no one can play. Okay. But um, I think there are some people who are absolutely just destroying um, the South Asian queer music scene at the moment. You're so right, though, about you starting and sparking this movement because um, now I do think, like, resurgence of, like, Punjabi Garage is, like, very much at large. And we're seeing it, like, go into the mainstream, though. Like, it's really, like, hitting... Like, you'll hear... I'll hear a lot of my white friends listening to Punjabi Garage and I'm like, oh, my God, like... Like, you're listening to this on Radio 1 or whatever. So it is definitely becoming bigger and wider this movement of like being proud of who we are and like um it following and growing which is amazing like how are you feeling about that everything exciting always um ends up becoming hitting the masses yes and i think it's really important to acknowledge that like most things um have always started within the queer or people Mm -hmm. of color community um, so, and Hangama and Bollywood music is no different. I think like there was a departure from allowing our music to exist in mainstream music and culture. Yeah. And I think with Hangama and its genesis, it, um, it has uh, encouraged people to experiment more and to apply it um, without any shame. Yeah. Um, I think what's important to know is that it hit critical mass, but it, most importantly, it hit um, heteronormative South Asian people. Yes. So yeah. there were South Asian people who were working in music sectors like Boiler Room and mm-hmm. Mixcloud and Soundcloud who were starting to see these um, little sparks of queer Bollywood joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, the ones who had the facility and infrastructure have taken it and built even bigger things, yeah. which is fantastic. I'm so proud to see um, festivals and DJs and lineups and people getting the attention they deserve as South Asians. Yeah. I just think it's super important 
important to mark um, the the obstacles that the queer South Asians had to go through yeah, in order sure. to to get it to where it is now. Mm. Um, so I think that behind every great straight person is a queer person. Yeah. So um, never forget that. And there's that history as well. Yeah. Like it has to be acknowledged. Yeah, exactly. And also supported. So like I think that now that we've passed over this baton of like mm-hmm. Bollywood, hip hop and a resurgence of music that existed in the past that we felt like we couldn't attach ourselves to, yeah. I think it's never been more important for straight um, South Asian and people of color mm-hmm. to support queer people. Yeah. And especially Especially, uh, trans people as well yes, so now sure. I feel like we did some legwork and like it is for everybody and everyone should enjoy it and I'm really proud of where we yeah, are yeah. but the buck doesn't stop there I think it, it's asking how you can give back to those people who did that leg but then like what do you say would like needs to be done now like in 2023 to like move the dial forward is there anything that you feel like is really important I think I'm um, just like education and unlearning yeah. like I think the South Asian community can be quite narrow-minded and also quite um ignorant so I think it's important for people who are in front of a microphone or on a soapbox to just like echo um, safe space um, guidelines mm-hmm. um, make sure that trans people have equal rights in their in the settings that they're in um, like all of the conversations that you have about equality um, need to be echoed and um, and just asserted mm-hmm. and I guess that's where it comes from because like I think it's easy to take queer people and put them into a space with yeah. you because it's popularity but it's like what's even more um, ast- like astonishing to me and something that I celebrate is when you actually make sure they're taken care of first yeah. And like, how have you found it personally as well? Like, it can be hard, like having your own community that you're as well pushing the doll forward. Like I found I worked and I created a diversity and inclusion consultancy, Mm -hmm. but I found that I took on the stories um, and emotionally as well, which was really hard Mm -hmm. because when you hear a story of someone experiencing like discrimination, it can be really difficult to kind of take in, but then like you feel so frustrated sometimes at, just society in general and you have to learn to like channel um in like the best of ways to push it forward yeah um but i guess like yeah you you in a way like you're you founded this space and you're looking after as well so many people yeah i think mine is just um coming from awareness like some of the 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 urgency or agency that i speak to you about has actually been taught to me by others okay um i i think that my um drive or POV on the whole entire thing was just always survival. Mm. Like I came here not knowing anyone, um, uh, God knows 15 years ago. Um, I've accomplished so much. Like I, yeah. I've accomplished everything I could ever have imagined. Like been on Netflix, been on BBC, yeah. like DJ parties. Like I, I, like I, I get to dream again, mm-hmm. but um, what I think is important now is that I, I let go of that sort of survival instinct of needing to create in order to exist. Yeah. Now I know I exist and I'm proud of that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just trying to give people, um, try and transform my trauma and and those those needs into wisdom and being able to share it with people just so we can do better for someone listening that may be doing the same thing yeah like how would you um, overcome that from what you've learned in general over your career i think uh how to overcome that is just realizing that everything happens at its own pace yeah. um not to rush things mm-hmm. um it, london is a rat race but like if you're good at what you do and if if it's truly yours to have that you won't feel you won't feel the need to have to assert that all the time mm-hmm. um i think i'm getting to a point now where i'm like it's not always about me and what i need it's about what we need and like what the community needs and so i just feel more vexed when um there are people who are deserving of mm-hmm. um a spot don't get it um and at some point i think i just i thought that it was my spot yeah. and i I think now it's like I'm really blessed to have my own career, um, have different parts of my multi-hyphenate mm-hmm. energy exist so I don't need to explain myself to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I can just be proud of what I've created and then just make sure that the people who haven't um, had that opportunity get it. 
like giving them the spotlight. Giving, now yeah, as giving well. them a spot or yeah. encouraging people to give the spot or have that mm. awareness to give the spotlight. Yeah. I think it's really easy for us to like um, have cliques or like have be like, oh, these are my mates, so we're going to do something. It's like, actually, let's think a bit bigger. Mm. Um, I think we're getting to another generation now where younger kids are like, creative South Asian this or like, let's celebrate South Asian music and stuff. And it's like, actually, just do your legwork yeah. and know where things have come from mm. and then build it to make it better, not just make a small little microcosm of it. And then, like, like what you kind of touched upon with success in general and like proving your worth. Yeah. Did you ever have that in your 20s or like from like early on? Was it something that you felt like you had to do and like, I don't know, pick, work with certain brand names or like get featured in certain shiny like uh, press, for example? Was it ever tied in with your self esteem or the, anything? I think so. Because <laughs> it was for Oh me, my God, I'm going gonna... to give you such truth. So, like, in my heart of hearts, like, yeah. I've always wanted to be the the center of it all at, at the at most elite um, vantage point. Okay. So like working with the biggest brands or mm. like having the cover stories. Mm. But um, instead, I like I, another part of my subconscious always just allowed myself to do what I truly thought was the best thing to do. Yeah. And, um, and so my authentic self has landed me in the pages of another man or British GQ and, mm-hmm. um, and even been featured in Vogue and like all of these amazing things. But um, I, I would be lying if I didn't say that, that those those ideas were driving me, yeah. but I'm just grateful that the reasons I'm in there actually have impact. Wow. Um, so I think when people write about me, yeah. I'm so grateful um, for what I've done rather than writing about me for something that's a bit narcissistic mm. or just like just self orientated. Yeah, because so, yeah, because what yourself is about community. Yeah, right? is what you've like the brand you've created. It is like as a result of your stories, your experiences, mm. how did you get to that point? Like carving out your, your story and this kind of journey of now you're on your second business yeah. as well. Like how, how has that happened? Like, did you have to kind of um, reach like a point of like, I'm frustrated that there's nothing here. I think some of it's rooted in like a slight ADHD energy. Okay, like yeah. I, I don't like to do anything for too long. Yeah. I get bored really easily. Mm-hmm. Um, I For Hangama, I was really enjoying it. But then I was like, actually, I'm, I just feel like we're listening to the same music. Yeah. And I feel like the crowd is just growing bigger and the crowd is actually more heteronormative. Mm-hmm. So I was like, let's just shut it down. Yeah. I was like, it was great. It was amazing. The people who needed to be there were there. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to something else. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I did the same with fashion exhibitions. Like if you think about fashion um uh, exhibitions and retrospectives you would just work on them for a short period of time and then you never think about them again yeah yeah and um so for me it's like it's always been built in like to really intensely work on something then don't hyper focus and then bounce that is me yeah <laughs> so um I mean I've, I've been looking into that sort of um uh, cognitive discourse as well and I'm yeah. like I, I just don't like to do anything forever but I think that's fine though we change don't we yeah. so much like even from the fashion side of your life yeah. like that was young your younger kind of self in a way yeah and we grow and evolve and like yeah, Hangama fit a time in your life. Mm-hmm. And also you've got to stick to the value of what it was. Yeah, exactly. And then when you're ready for the next thing, you jump to the next thing. And I, I feel like we, we're condemned in a way in sometimes society for like failing something in public or like stopping something and not doing yeah. it for 40 years. And it's like, yeah, exactly. It takes its toll, I mean, right? there are errors that everyone has their error. Beyonce even has errors. Yeah, like it's important yeah. just to like, let yourself really enjoy that moment and then mm. let it go. If you try to hold on to it or be at the top of it for too long, then um, I guess it's the demons come out to play. What led to Not Dead Yet then? Talk, talk to me about the story of that. Okay, so <laughs> Not Dead Yet is my fitness collective that I started in 2020. Okay. Um, it came out of just an idea of seeing a space and a gap that needed to be filled. So um, naturally, we all were um, in isolation and not allowed to leave our houses. Um, 
I was doing Hangama, so we couldn't do the club night. And like yeah. everyone and their dog who had a club night was doing mixes online and doing parties online and stuff. Mm-hmm. We did some of that as well. But um, I was just like having to look at my mental health and myself. And I realized that um, I was able to get myself up and go for a walk or do a gym session. And then I just had this moment of, um, I just had this like weird feeling where I was like, where is everyone? And not just everyone, but where is my queer family? Like, yeah. where are the kids who come to the night? Who are they living with? Like, how many queer kids have run away from home who are in yeah. a flat chair somewhere who who don't know their flatmates, mm. uh, who doesn't who doesn't have a job? And I started to look at the the realms of uh, of the world and landscape of the world that we were living in. Like, mm-hmm. you couldn't go to the gym unless you were a member, and you had to be in a bubble, or you had to be able to pay a lot of money to even access equipment. Um, and I was like, how many kids like even know how to move their bodies or actually like? put themselves through a gym class like mm-hmm. the whole world has stopped so um i uh after winning the flower fight on netflix yeah um i just had a bit of attention on me so uh, naturally you get like fees here and there for paid partnerships and stuff so i started to save some of that money mm-hmm. and I, I basically um i started to host classes every day at 12 o'clock on zoom and i just uh-huh. created a little instagram called ndy because mm-hmm. in my mind i was like mm-hmm. let's call it not dead yet because queer kids have survived not only the AIDS epidemic mm-hmm. um, with no role models, but now we're here and we'll survive this. Yeah. So every day at 12 o'clock without fail, um, I enlisted the help of PTs who were queer and of color mm-hmm. and they hosted classes. And I was really cl- uh, proud that after six uh, weeks of lockdown, um, we had like six and a half thousand kids oh, like wow. come and attend the classes from around the world. Yeah. And some of these places were places where it was um, criminalized to be homosexual wow, or trans. Okay. And so we created a digital community of kids who were just coming to a sound bath or learning mm-hmm. how to lift weights with objects at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that actually it is providing a space like Hangama, mm-hmm. um, but in the fitness industry. So since COVID ended, yeah. or I guess we didn't have to be in isolation, still around, um, I started hosting classes in premium gym spaces where I go to the gyms and say, listen, if you don't give me a class that's mm-hmm. gender neutral with a POC coach um, who's queer, like, I'll cancel you. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Sometimes we yeah. just have to be honest. I was like, don't make me press the button. <laughs> don't make me do it. Yeah, I'll bring over um, it. But I just, I just want to hold the gyms accountable. It's yeah. like you're charging through the nose to people um, so, like who are systemically given privilege to be in these spaces. Yeah. How are we giving privilege to people of color, black people, brown people, trans people, yeah. non-binary kids to take classes? And I remember being 23 and being invited to Soho House for the first time. I was yeah. like, this place is amazing. I want to work really hard and live here. So I was just like, imagine if you were like young and like the only thing you could afford to do is go to a rave. Yeah, if you sure. get a free class in a premium gym, use the ASOP, get the nice towel, like use the amazing gym equipment, like it'll give you a sense of routine and you'll start nourishing your body and it'll give you a different sense of like how to be proud and queer. Yeah. But then how hard was it to find queer people, like people of color that are fitness instructors? Was that, was that something that was difficult? Well, I I basically just like went to the gyms and started taking classes and then just finding the coaches who were in the LGBTQIA community. Mm. Um, And then if they were queer and not of color, that's fine. But ideally it's both. And then I started having conversations with the, the gyms being like, where are your trans coaches? Where are your POC coaches? Like, why is all of your marketing geared towards um, white people and straight people? Mm. Um, So it started to like, 
I guess it was just a bit of an aggressor in the fitness industry at the moment. Um, and I'm just really proud that after running it for two years, we partnered with Adidas. And um, now we're going to be moving into 2024 with classes in London wow. for free for trans non-binary people of color. So it's, it's I'm seeing a theme mm-hmm. of like this accessibility, like inclusivity. Yeah. Like you're creating the spaces that don't exist yeah. or don't exist in like, you know, in London yeah. or you're gathering everyone together, yeah. which is a beautiful. And I like how you've done both, like this IRL versus virtual too. Mm-hmm. Like you've kind of taken a mix of both. Is it nice now bringing everyone together in real life though? Yeah, it is. Not only are we bringing a sober uh, opportunity for yeah, the queer for community, sure. um, we're taking them away from sound system culture where mm. they have to go and be so close in proximity to drugs and alcohol um, while they're they're struggling. Um, yeah. And actually be in a space where you can meet other people um, who are like-minded and, and who are of similar community yeah. discourse. And then um, you can start making friends. Um, I, I'm grateful that with my experience of Hangama, um, and the London uh, club scene. Mm. We've taken DJs um, from the club scene and have them DJ in the classes. Oh, wow. So it's a nice transitionary point where we have people who are like, oh, I love the music of that party, but I don't mm. want to go and drink. Yeah. I'll go to the gym class. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just feel like it's a nice stopgap that's, um, that's just going to make a really wonderful impact. It's a nice evolution. Yeah. Talking about mental health in general. You've been doing so many things, balancing so many plates at once. Mm-hmm. Like, has your mental health been affected throughout? Yeah, well, completely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that I I probably have breakdowns all the time. It's so funny you say this because today I went to Waitrose. Okay. And um, not by choice. It's the closest thing to my house. Mm-hmm. And um, I, someone, I saw someone who was South Asian and queer and they were like, hi, Ryan. And I was like, oh, hi. <laughs> and then they were like, you don't know who I am, but I know everything about you because I see everything you post on social media. Oh and God. I was like, great. <laughs> And then I just had a moment where I was like, that's such a weird thing to say to someone because it's like, it's just so, it's so ominous and mysterious. But then I just had a, I just had a moment. I said, I was like, you don't know everything about me because I don't post about all my mental breakdowns and all of my obstacles, but you just see all the fun I have. And I was like, nice to see you. And I just walked away. (laughs) But it's one of those things where, um, they see the shiny stuff. Yeah. I think like I, I have been absorbed into this like career whirlpool. That's been really, really wonderful for me, but it has come at costs. Um, emotional and mental costs. Like I, I have created a lot of animosity towards other people because I felt like I deserve things more than other people. Um, I've had a survival instinct that, um, has made me a bit, um, self-orientated at times. Um, and now I'm at a place where I can rest and, um, uh, I, I did all of this during a pandemic as well. Yeah. So I'm just like, I'm proud of myself and I have a lot of compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm allowing myself to like apologize to some people yeah. and like take some space mm-hmm. um, and fail. Like and that's okay, it's right? Okay. It's totally yeah. fine. I think you need to reflect as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It sounds like you're just like, go, 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 go yeah. all the time. And like even the TV stuff, we haven't even touched upon like Big Fowl Fight. Yeah. And just in general, like the toll that that must take because... In a way, like, have you felt that um, the brand that you've created, is that now completely who you are? Or is it something that we have to, like, play up um, or play down certain aspects of who we are? I feel like when I meet people, um, I almost have to gauge how they see me. Okay. And then I can either choose to play to it or not. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes, like, I'll meet someone and they'll be like, oh, you're you're too famous to be around me. And I'm like, that's such a weird thing to say to someone. Oh, um, even though I've known them for years mm. or, um, or someone will meet me and I'll think they know who I am and they have absolutely no idea. Oh, wow. And so it's just one of those things where like it, it creates a sort of mental 
uh, disbelonging. Um, so I've like so actively tried to create physical spaces where you can belong. Yeah. And then as I've done that, I've I've garnered a lot of accolade. But then now I feel like people don't let me belong with them. Mm. So sometimes it can be very alienating. I see. But um, I am proud of what I've done. Yeah. And like I I just. I have, I think as you get more successful in life and as, as you are achieving things, your, your community of people who need to validate you get smaller. Mm. And I think for a little while I got lost in trying to be validated by everyone. Yeah. Is there something that you do though, when you go into that space or like feel like that you don't belong? Is there something that drives you or, um, keeps you going and motivated? Well, I read something recently and it said that sometimes the loudest people are the most fragile. Mm. And so I've just like just started listening more and chilling out more yeah. um i just think that like there's only so much energy you can exhaust um trying to trying to get everyone to just pay attention to you and i was like google me <laughs> then you'll realize that it's yeah. confusing for me too yeah exactly because <laughs> that's the thing like when we list out like, all the different things that you do like it can be confusing it's, it's like, so confusing it's a lot i can i can still remember the 23 year old ryan who didn't have a job in yeah. london and went to job seekers and they said you'll never have a job you're a lone gunslinger and i remember feeling so devastated that i moved across the world and job seekers allowance and the council there could not give me a direction oh, um wow. but now i'm very grateful to say that i'm probably one of the most celebrated pioneers in London Amazing, and um, yeah. and I paved way for other people to be like this yeah. um, and I just want to in I want to encourage people to do diverse things yeah. and make successful businesses out of them um, I don't just do it because it seems really popular no you do it for the right yeah, reasons do it for the right reasons and give it the infrastructure it deserves but then do you find though do you know when someone tells you no and that like you can't do something you do it you want to do it 10 times more like I was told that I wasn't going to get into law. Uh-huh. And even though it's a very traditional career, I was like, well, I'm going to get in. And yeah. I'm going to get to one. I'm going to prove you wrong yeah. that I can do it just because I can. And like that felt for me like a driver mm. in that moment. And I looked back and I was like, why did I do that? I could have done the creative things that I actually wanted to do yeah, that's and funny. gone down that path. But I was like, well, you've told me no, so I'm going to do it. I've never been a renegade in the sense that I like defy rules. I just, okay. I just don't obey them. Yeah, like yeah. I, I've never been like, I'll prove anyone wrong. Mm. I'm just like, it's just how I work. Yeah. Like I'm just really. Um, so naturally you'll just disrupt. Yeah, I'm basically. just creatively very lateral, such a disruptor. Yeah. And I basically just don't. I think for me, I don't even know how efficient my brain can be. It goes mm. so fast that it's, before you realize that I'm going to do it, I've already done it. And that's how I won the flower fight. <laughs> Um, like I just was like, just be the best as fast as you can master it. And then just keep going again and wow, again. Okay. It's like, it's, but if I'm, if I'm engaged, there's no stopping me. If I'm not engaged, I'll just like be in a corner with anxiety. <laughs> so you have to be really motivated basically yeah, yeah. about it. And like, you want to be so focused and then it's on to the next thing. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. I love exactly. how your brain works. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I'm learning how it works as well. Um, it's, it's actually quite funny. For someone that is listening and is maybe like juggling loads of things. Yeah still learning and maybe like burning out and things like that we see a lot of people like they just have such good intentions Mm. and they want to go for all their goals at once but it's a lot easier said than done like do you have any tips i think that like what i do is i like spend some time meditating on my future and then i i do this like exercise where i think about where i want to be whether it's a time period or it's a certain moment in time Mm. um so like for example like if i want to win an award Mm. um or like even like be featured somewhere i'll think about why i'm featured who who gave me that opportunity what i did in order to get that opportunity who i must have known where i must have been existing in london and i start to piece all the puzzle pieces from that moment all the way to present day right and then i realize i made myself a map 
Wow. Okay. And so I just do that because like, that's, I guess, I guess it's manifestation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was doing that before it was do a Do you thing. do a lot of like visualize, visualizing the, the goal every, like, is it every day or is it I'm whenever? A sev- <laughs> I'm a severe <laughs> overthinker. Okay. I'm okay. Sev- I, I think way too much, um, way too quickly, mm. um, often to my own demise. Right. But um, I think what I've always done is think creatively. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes when I have a big event I'll, in my dreams, I'll be organizing the event and I'll mm. like wake up the next day and grab some things and then be like, here are the things that we needed. And everyone's like, how did you know? And I was like, I just was thinking in my dreams last night. Oh, wow. It's like, that's okay. just, if I'm, if I'm engaged, like this. You're in overdrive in Yeah, a way. yeah. It just, yeah, it just happens. And you're like, you seem to be like a big problem solver. Yeah. Like you like to spot, but then do you think that stop, like are you constantly coming up with new ideas? Well, that I think that, probably, that hypervigilance I think is actually rooted in trauma. Like my yeah. parents had a very domestically violent relationship mm. and it was very tumultuous. And so like, I was like queer kid who just wanted everyone to get along. So I would like wake up and organize the house so everyone just had a good day. Oh, and like, I know where everyone yeah. was and know what people were doing. I know how to spend time with people. So I guess that like people pleasing and fixer energy um, has like lent myself to being a very, very good curator and, and um, entrepreneur cult- cultural facilitator yeah oh i see okay so in a way you've taken trauma and yeah. like experiences of that and turned it into something positive yeah and i think we see that a lot with great entrepreneurs though yeah exactly yeah. most people who've gone through the detritus of um childhood that have like um have ended up being billionaires yeah um i unfortunately am not a billionaire <laughs> but i'm actually grateful because of the awareness i have now if i had billion if i was a billionaire in the last like 10 years i probably yeah. would i would be a prick um, yeah like is it something to strive for anyway yeah exactly like yeah. I like how you're very impact driven community driven awesome. like that's what wanted me to, I wanted to get you on the podcast for that reason oh thank you well, one of the things that I do that fills me with a lot of joy and um, a, a, a sense of accomplishment yeah. is that whenever I feel like the world's against me or that I can't do anything I kind of think about every single young queer person who sent me an invoice and um and i think about like how many times they've invoiced me and how many times i've paid them and how many opportunities i've given them and i'm just like i was like that's great because the money doesn't need to be in my bank yeah i was like it needs to be in all of our banks and it makes it worth it yeah and so and i'm grateful now that these these i call them kids but these contemporaries and these friends of mine have accomplished things that i could like i only dreamt of and so now i'm like if you accomplish it then i've accomplished it Mm. so for me it's like i have this sort of a warholian approach where i'm like Andy Warhol is bigger than 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 pop art yeah. as a, as a name, but he was a part of everything, mm. and everyone has a story, whether it's good or bad. <laughs> okay, final question for you. Okay, go for it. Is there anything else, another side of you, or anything that you feel like you don't talk about um, that you'd like to share? <laughs> It's funny you mentioned that actually today I was thinking about how um, I studied film production and and university Mm -hmm. and um, storytelling is really important to me. And so I always felt like when I was in school that I didn't have um, the stories to tell. Mm -hmm. And so now um, I'm, while I'm taking some time just to like be on my own and like take stock, I've realized that there's a lot of stories and experiences that I've had that I'd love to turn into like television or films. And so um, I'm just like allowing the stories to, to be bigger than me. So that's something that I'm thinking about a lot that I don't really tell people about. So stay tuned for that then. <laughs> yeah, producer. <laughs> oh, I love it. Directed by. We'll add another slash. Yeah, to exactly. That for sure. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. Where can we find you on socials? Um, you can updated? find me on Netflix on the Big Flower Fight, on the Big Proud Party Agency on BBC Three. You can find me on Instagram at Ryan Langi, R Y A N L A N J I, J for Jurassic Park. Um, and I don't do Twitter anymore, so. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to be here.